Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm Coleman Hodges coming to you once again from my mom's house in Columbia, Missouri. We are joined, as always, by Braden Keith, editor-in-chief of Swim Swam from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Swim Swam writer Ben Dornan in Halifax, Nova Scotia. You can tell Ben is in Canada because it's still turtleneck weather where he lives, even though it's May 9th. It's 46 degrees Fahrenheit. I did the math this week, so I could give you some Fahrenheit information. What is that in Celsius? Nobody Eight. cares. Eight degrees. Wow, that sounds so much colder. That's yeah. yeah, that's too few degrees either way you slice it for May. That is rough. <clears throat> Speaking of too few, we have too few news stories for May and swimming. However, we are bringing you some serious heat to, on today's swim swim breakdown for how slow of a news week it seemed starting with we're gonna Katie call it the swim swim beat down this week <laughs> the swim swim beat down beat each other down <sighs> katie ledecky no 200 free this saddens me greatly she cannot tie michael phelps's individual world title record this time around because she's only swimming three events now but no aaron gimmel on the team they didn't add seventh place in the 200 free from trials airin gimmel Braden, why? <laughs> Tell me. Nobody why. knows, and nobody <laughs> will ever know. Um, you know, the precedent is there, right? Like the there were a few commenters who didn't read that whole article and were saying, "Why would Swim Swam think that they got the seventh place swimmer on the relay didn't change?" Um, but there's absolute precedent, including the last time Katie Ledecky dropped the 200 free at the World Championships in 2013, and when Michael Phelps did it in 2012. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to say because you could argue, oh, David Marsh is an influential coach. Of course he can get his swimmers pulled onto the team, which is very much what it felt like in 2012, uh, when that happened with Davis Tarwater. On the other hand, Aaron Gemmel's father and coach Bruce Gemmel is also a very influential coach. So if there were strings to be pulled, you would think they could be pulled, um, I think ultimately probably what they looked at was, do we need Aaron Gemmel on this relay? I, is, is it more valuable? Do we need Aaron Gemmel on this relay? And with a 158-1-2 from trials, I know she's been a little bit faster. It's a, it, you know, it's, you starting to get into a little bit of a dicey territory with that prelims relay. I don't think it's something we'd really not make, um, make the final for, but on the other hand is, is it more valuable for the long-term development of USA Swimming for Aaron Gemmel to go swim a single prelim swim at a weird world championship meet or go to junior pan packs and swim a bunch of races? Uh, and I think ultimately the decision was probably that she's better off at junior pan packs, swimming several races, including individual events. So it looks like that's what they did. Um, that's the best explanation I can come up with. I don't think we're ever going to get a, a real candid explanation from USA Swimming about the difference between this and 2013 because candid explanations are not what USA Swimming does. Um, but that's my best guess. Yeah, my assumption uh, was that it would just be a choice by her. I think that she would probably rather go to Junior Pen Packs. I think that Maggie McNeil made a similar choice to this when she could have gone to a major meet, like maybe like Senior Pen Packs back in 2018 and she chose to go to Junior Pen Packs. And then she ended up winning some medals. This was right before the, the summer before 2019 when she won the world championships. So 
Um, I think that at, at, if you can go to a junior meet, especially since there hasn't been a major junior meet really since 2019, like it's probably more exciting for her to go and, and race on her own. Um, so I think Aaron Gemma will be fine, but I, what I don't think will be fine is that relay for the U S without a Katie Ledecky leg. And also the individual event that's two. I'm assuming it'll be Leah Smith swimming it and Leah Smith and Claire Weinstein were, were good at trials, but they were 157s and that's not anywhere near what they need. I think to... Ledecky is going to swim the relay still, right? I don't think we have any indication that she's okay. not going to swim the relay. She's just dropping the individual event. Which... Well, then I guess that kind of makes it like if they still have the top six in the pool for the relay, then that makes sense. Why Gemma wouldn't be added to the team. No, but that's, again, you're just like our readers. You didn't read the article, Ben, and you <laughs> well... don't. So though you don't know that the exact same situation happened in 2012 and 2013, and they pulled up the seventh place finisher. Yeah. But well, one, one thing doesn't one that happening one time doesn't mean it. It made sense that one time. I don't think, I think if they still have six, that might swim the relay. Ben... Then. Why would they bring have it to so the much seventh? to learn about the law because that's how the law works. They did it twice. They've got to do it a third time. Yeah. And when there's new facts in front of the court, they can overrule precedent, which we'll not get into overruling precedent right now. I, I am the Supreme can. Court of this podcast and I overrule your precedent. I have to uh, appreciate Ben swooping in with the, uh, with the Canadian analysis though, of Maggie McNeil. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how that relay does with or without Aaron Gimmel. That's another conversation for another podcast though. Still a lot of big news this week. Uh, Maxime Rooney announced his retirement. Um, it's kind of interesting seeing people retire this year of all years. Uh, on one hand, it's kind of like you went through another eight or nine months post Olympics and then retired. Interesting. But on the other hand, I'm guessing a lot of people kind of thought ISL was going to happen. They're going to get some money. Uh, and then it didn't. And then he specifically Maxime did not make the world's team. So it kind of brings up the question of uh, what funding is like for an athlete where he's at. It's like, he's sponsored by tier. He's on the USA national team and he's probably struggling to pay bills, right. As a swimmer. And I'm, I'm curious if you think that's part of the reason why he ultimately decided to move on. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, and it's an issue that Tina Andrew brought up pretty forcefully in the comments of his retirement post on Instagram. Um, and Michael and Maxine are pretty close. Um, I think their, their religion sort of bonds them together a little bit. You know, um, I think... Of course, there's an ongoing issue of of there not being a, a real pro swimmer scene, right? Even in the ISL, swimmers like Maxime Rooney don't really make enough to sustain their career if they're not making big travel teams. Um, on the other hand, Maxime only has 4,200 Instagram followers, right? Michael Andrew makes a great living off of swimming because he hustles on his on his social media, on his personal branding, all those things. Uh, so uh, on the one hand, I get it, you know, athletes see NBA players and they don't have to be good on social media and they can still make millions, but swimming isn't the NBA and you've got to grind. If you, if you are not winning Olympic medals, especially individual Olympic medals, and you want to make your career last, if you're not making world championship teams and you want to extend your career, you've got to put in the work 
on your self-promotion. You know, Cody Miller does it. He hasn't won a big medal in a, in a minute and he's making lots of money, lots and lots of money. Michael Andrew is making lots and lots of money. Um, you've got to find out how you're going to do your social media, your self-promotion, your self-branding and make yourself a big deal in swimming. Um, and, and some swimmers do a great job of that and some swimmers don't. And they're Maxine is that's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Like there's this whole anti-social media movement, right? There's, um, people who say social media is, is bad for our young people. It's sucks up too much of my time. I'm getting off social media and that's all well and good. But like Coleman, you and I can't say, oh, we're not doing social media anymore because that's our job, right? Like we I tried to, you guys wouldn't let me. <laughs> exactly, Coleman, because in spite of the fact of you being a hippy dippy, you know, whatever, it's our job to be on social media, right? It's our job to provide content to our audience. Yes. And as a pro swimmer, if you're not winning those big medals where your social media sort of speaks for itself, you got to treat it like part of your job and you got to do it. So that's my message to swimmers like Maxine Rooney, who are trying to figure out how to make more money. You know, the, the other changes are so big and sort of institutional and ground shifting that you can't count on them happening. You can't say these things are definitely going to happen. The ISL is definitely going to start paying us millions of dollars. You know, you, you've got to do the work for yourself. Yeah. And I just wanted to cite that in 2021, he made 23,000 in the ISL and then 28,000 the year before, which as you kind of said, that's not enough to, to sustain your life. And now even though that's not enough at all, the fact that he's losing that amount of income for this year is definitely probably having an impact. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to ask about, if you could, if you could give insight into this, cause I don't really know the, the behind the scenes of this industry is that the, the new NIL rules, which allows current collegiate athletes. I'm wondering if an effect of that new rule that has seen since the Olympics, Bobby Fink, Tori Husky and Claire Curzan all have been signed to tier, which is the company that, that Maxime Rooney is signed with. Is it an effect of those new NIL rules that, that some of the money going to current college athletes is going to take away from the lower tier, um, which I don't mean to call Maxime a lower tier athlete, but the, the, the athletes who are still strong and doing IXL, but they're not making major international teams taking away from the funding that, that those kind of athletes can get. It's okay. We don't have to pull too many punches here on the podcast. Maxine had a great year, but he is now based on how he's performing a lower tier pro. I think that's an accurate way to say it. And I, you know, I hadn't really considered that, but I think you're probably right. I think that's going to make it harder for swimmers like him to get sort of those lower end suit deals where you could cobble it together with your 30,000 ISL dollars and, not be, not be rolling in dough, not be saving for your retirement, but doing enough to kind of scrape by. Um, you know, I, I hope we get Maxime on a podcast sometime because I'd love to hear his thoughts, Coleman, on what changed from 2019 coming out of the pandemic where he seemed like he was unstoppable. He was going to be the next coming of Michael Phelps, Caleb Dressel, now Maxime Rooney. And then he just, in, two, in the two big seasons since, why why he thinks he wasn't able to get back to that level. I mean, it seems like we saw a lot of um, older athletes, you know, the pandemic didn't necessarily help them, but yeah, like you said, Maxime was just coming out of college at that point. And uh, you know, the, the, 
the results kind of do speak for themselves at trials just a month ago, he was, uh, 11th in the hundred free at 49, 19, um, with a best of 47, six. And he was eighth in the hundred fly 52, 69. And he has a personal best of 50.6. So, you know, obviously well off those, I wonder if he kind of thought this would be his last meet regardless, and maybe that kind of went into his performances, but it would be interesting. Hopefully we can get Maxime on and talk to him and, and get his perspective on uh, how all those factors played into this decision. Another, another Max, Maxine with an N, Parker is transferring from Georgia to Virginia. She is a blue chip sprinter. She's uh, 21. 47, 144. Um, I mean, she's, you know, really highly ranked coming out of high school, still a lot of talent coming, you know, staying in college, going, uh, switching from the sec to the ACC. Do you guys think, uh, <laughs> this is, this is a situation of ring chasing as a lot of our commenters thought, or do you think it's probably just a better fit than George? Why can't was? it? I mean, why can't it be both? You know, I think from where I sit, Georgia wasn't working from her and, and Georgia's undergoing some coaching changes um, where some of the assistants are taking a little more control over the program. We still don't know exactly what the details of how that's going to shake out um, are. But, you know, Jack Bowerly wasn't at SEC's. I, I don't think Georgia was working for her. I think... Um, I mean, I think I think the decision to wind up at Virginia seems like it's ring chasing of, of one variety or another. And what I mean by that is, is it NCAA ring chasing? Sure. Virginia is probably going to win the NCAA title again next year. She might not be on any of those relays, as crazy as that is, but that's how good Virginia is. You know, she might not ever make an NCAA championship relay um, for the Cavaliers. And so... In a sense, it's ring chasing. She's going to get the team ring, but it's not like she's going to walk into a bunch of NCAA title wins. She's got to do the work. She's got to perform well. And if and if it's a good fit for her, then she made the good choice, right? Like if she gets to a 21 low flat start and finds her way onto, onto a relay into an NCAA A final, then great. It was a good fit for her because she wasn't doing that at Georgia. Uh, you know, on, it, on the other hand, swimming is kind of... Um, it's different than other sports, right? You can have 25 Olympians on one college team and they all get their own lane to swim in. Nobody's there's relay selection, but nobody's sitting on the bench. So this is why we see dynasties like we see at Virginia, like we saw Stanford the last decade, like we see from Texas and Cal and, and Auburn before that and so on and so forth is because Swimmers see coaches putting athletes on international teams and athletes with international desires. They don't need to be the starting point guard on their team. They don't need to be, be the starting quarterback. They just need the best training they can get to, to meet their international aspirations. And so everybody's ring chasing and swimming, right? Like that's kind of how it works is somebody starts to have a little success, which Virginia did. And then everybody goes there. And then eventually that starts to crack a little, like we saw maybe with Cal recently and people stop going there 
because they're going to whatever the new hot handed program is like, this is just the cycle of swimming recruiting. So is it ring chasing? Yes, but I don't think it has that same negative connotation as we usually think of with ring chasing. Yeah. I, I don't understand why it's bad to be ring chasing anyway, because isn't that just the goal period? I mean, I, I'm really into basketball. And so like, I know the, the negatives of it, but like everyone wants to win anyway. So like, why not put yourself in the best situation to win? And probably in Maxine's case, the best situation to just get better in the sport period and also get a great academic education at the university of Virginia. I feel like that's one thing that Virginia really has going for it is that you get a great education, no matter what. Right. I think there's this, this weird perception with ring chasing that we see from other sports. You know, you can be the guy that goes to a Villanova or a Gonzaga and becomes the part of the lift of that program and works really hard and instills more worth at work ethic in your teammates. And all of a sudden you make a run to the final four that nobody expected because you built the culture of the program as an athlete, which you can do in some sports, but in swimming, if if Maxine Parker wants to win an NCAA team title in the next two years, maybe more, she really didn't, there was nowhere else she could go to do that. Right. Like there is, there was no second, you know, she's going to, if she goes to Stanford instead, is she not ring chasing? Like there's nowhere else she could go where she isn't doing one of two things, joining a team that's an NCAA title contender or joining a team that doesn't have a chance at the NCAA title before she graduates. There's only so much impact one swimmer can have um, on a team, as we saw with Stanford last year, right? They got 30 NCAAs with two all-time, all-time great recruits and Tori Husk and Reagan Smith still only got 30 NCAAs. So like, I don't know, it's, it's just a silly conversation to me. Yeah. And it's, and like you said, it's like a lot different in swimming than in any other sport, but most other sports, there you go. The Virginia collegiate team is obviously really good right now. And right now I don't think that the Virginia, whatever pro swimmers are at Virginia are not in the center of the conversation, but in two or three years or three or four years, all of those, the, the, the strongest members of the Virginia team are going to keep swimming. You know, they're still young. And so I think the question that, that I'm wondering about is, is Todd Storrow going to keep coaching them throughout? Cause they're all getting better. I mean, Gretchen Welsh has had a few hiccups, but she's also still getting better and all of them um, are still progressing. So I don't know if that's another thing that might be in their minds and in Maxine Parker's minds that this could be a long-term investment looking at as, as far ahead as 2028. I mean, we've seen a lot of strong collegiate programs like Stanford end up having a really good pro group when Manuel and Ledecky and Easton and Draybot were all at Stanford. Um, and then as, as they've left, that's, that's kind of fizzled away, but I don't know. I think that maybe she wants an NCAA title, but if the, I don't think that there's any way to suggest that that's the only thing that she's after. And I think even looking past her NCAA career, Virginia might be a good long-term training base, um, long-term because, because she was on the, the world junior team and, 2019. So she definitely can race long course and probably has long course aspirations. So I I think she's definitely looking a lot more long-term than just like who's going to be winning next year at 2023 NCAAs. So I think, I think it makes sense for her and it's, it'll be a good, a good move. The Virginia coaches have made clear that they, 
at this point are only going to train their swimmers as postgrads. They've tried a few other swimmers. It's worked. It's, you know, uh, Katie Duluth was okay, but I'm not sure she left on great terms. I think Jack Conger, that situation was kind of a bust with him. So, uh, you know, right now they seem to be focused on their athletes as pros. So that's a good point that if she wants into that pro group long-term, that's how she, she can get there. I think that'll be really interesting to see too, especially, I don't think it's a stretch to say, uh, Todd DeSorbo is in the running, you know, is, is high on the list of potential head Olympic coaches on the women's side for 2024 Paris games. Right. So by 24, after the 24 Olympics, Alex Walsh will be done with, with or graduated. Uh, Kate Douglas will be graduated, I guess, pending the COVID year situations or whatever, um, the ex that extra fifth year, but it, it'll be interesting to see, will they start to develop a big pro group? Um, or will Todd have kind of, you know, had his Olympic head coaching moment and then focus, focus a lot more on the college group and maybe they'll, you know, go elsewhere, explore other avenues or just find another training base just be, will be interesting to see how that unfolds. Cause right now they really don't have a pro group. Like you said, they have page Madden and like, that's it, you know, or they don't have like a postgrad group. Yeah. Um, okay. That's enough. That speaking of pro groups, uh, mission viejos is growing. Uh, we've got Trenton Julian, Taylor McCoy and David Heron all announcing that they will be training at the new pro group based in Mission Viejo, coached by Jeff Julian, who is Trenton Julian's father. That'll be, I'm really interested in to see, to seeing how this unfolds, especially because Jeff Julian has those connections with certain swimmers being a coach, being a head coach for the Cali Condors and the ISL. Do you guys think this is going to become more of a hotbed popular destination, especially being in sunny Southern California as we get closer to Paris? It's hard to say. Michael Heyman just wrote an article about how few of our world championship team members are training in uh, Southern California as compared to prior generations where it was like half the team was in Southern California. You know, it's... I think we're going to see some swimmers try it. The proof is going to be in the pudding because this is a big question that nobody wants to talk about, but who has Jeff Julian coached to an international team? What, what pro or senior level swimmer has he coached to success? Obviously he coached his son before he went to Cal and then made all kinds of, you know, made all kinds of improvements training under Dave Durden. Now he's going back to his dad we, you know, we assume there's honesty in, in, in what they released and that he's actually going to go back to his dad and not just be training in Cal and competing under Mission Viejo. But, you know, if Mark Schubert couldn't really get it done with a pro group there, do we think Jeff Julian is going to? Um, and to me, the answer is only if the ISL encourages this as sort of a Cali Condors pro training base. You know, if he gets that push, I think he's got to a chance at building a nice little group there. None of these swimmers are at a level where I think people are going to say, Oh, that's somebody I want to go train with where this is going to create an avalanche effect. His son is obviously good, but that I think that'll, that'll feel different to everybody because he's the coach's kid. Um, Taylor McCoy was a history making swimmer for Washington state. Um, 
but she's still a ways from making an international team. David Heron is, you know, international caliber and open water, but open water doesn't sort of attract the same attention as a pool swimmer of the same caliber would. So, um, if I'm a, if I'm a pro swimmer and I'm looking around, am I going to go live in mission Viejo train with an unproven coach at a club team that's had, has a history of a lot of turnover, a lot of drama, a lot of headaches, an expensive part of the country, or am I going to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, or Charlottesville, Virginia, or Athens, Georgia, or Austin, Texas, in a more established group with coaches who have that legacy, um, bigger groups to train with, nine out of 10 are probably going to choose the traditional route, I would think, until he does something, right? Like if Taylor McCoy jumps up and makes the world's team next year or goes to nationals and does something crazy. Everybody's going to say, we're going, we're going to mission Viejo. You know, it's going to get on the train to mission Viejo, but short of that, I don't know. I don't know who would take a chance there. Maybe, you know, maybe they work out, have some kind of incentive program to help them out financially. That would kind of be the only chance. And we're going to have them on a podcast to talk about those things and figure out how they plan to attract swimmers. But as it sits right now, just because you call it a pro group doesn't mean the pros have to sign up. I was reading the article where just a few months ago when Justin Ress announced that he was going to be going there and he made a really long post on Instagram. And specifically, one of the things that he pointed out was, and this was before he made the world's team, but he pointed out specifically that he thought that I, that I, the ISL was the future of swimming and made a really, uh, focused point to be like, and, and everyone who doesn't think that the ISL is like what's coming next. You, you should like actually watch the ISL. The Constantine. Yeah. Basically Basically what he said. Yeah. And so I think that Justin Ress has, has had success in the ISL. Um, and so I don't know what kind of balance they're going to strike between when the ISL comes back, between that group focusing on the ISL, focusing on long course meets. Uh, some people have done both successfully, but but we've seen that some people have really succeeded in the ISL and and not been able to convert that to long course meters. Um, and Trenton Julian, someone who I think if he decides to to do the ISL, he could actually be really good at it. I think a lot of 200 butterflyers have been able to do good in the 200 butterfly in the ISL, but then also be good at, at some of the sprint events, some of the skins. So, so I don't know, are they going to be the, the, the pro group that is focusing on the ISL? I don't know. Cause David Heron's an open water swimmer. So they have a lot of different kind of potential formulations that they could they go for. Know, I wonder if they know what they're trying to do or if for now they're just sort of trying to collect swimmers and see what happens. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's their hook, right? Because as from what we've seen with the ISL, if if you go train with Jeff Julian, he's going to put you on his team. Right. Um, and if you get put on the Cali Condors because they have Caleb Dressel and a few other big, big name swimmers, you're going to make more money than if you just sort of get dumped on the, the New York Breakers or one of the other bottom end teams. So maybe that's the incentive. Maybe the incentive is come train with my pro group and I'll sign you to my pro team wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, you know, Taylor McCoy should not be an ISL swimmer, but if she's still training with Jeff Julian, when the 2023 ISL season runs around, I'd bet a lot of money that she's going to be on the Cali Condors. So 
that will be a big storyline to keep following, especially as we lead into future ISL seasons and the Paris 2024 games. And now it is time for our favorite game on the Swim Swim Breakdown, Sink or Swim. First up today on Sink or Swim, Queens University announces that it is going D1. The D2 powerhouse has won, I don't know how many, but a lot of consecutive national titles at the Division II level. They voted unanimously to go to transition to Division I over the next four years. Do you think this will help or hurt their program? Do you think it will sink or swim their program? You know, Jeff Dugdale loves to talk about how they're basically a D1 program because they go and swim dual meets against lower end D1 teams and beat them. Um, And now it's time for him to, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Because it's one of these things they've, they've managed to recruit a lot of athletes who are of a D2 approach, either because of age or nationality or academic interest for, for one of a number of reasons, they've decided D2 is the, the best route for them. And so where do you go? Queens is where you go because they've been so dominant at that level. You know, now that they're going to D1, what is this program's brand going to be? We've seen other schools that were very good at the D2 level move to D1 and they just sort of disappear into the mid-major mush of NCAA D1 swimming. And, you know, some they, it's not that they are just total flops of programs. They win mid-major conference titles sometimes. They, they are sometimes good, sometimes bad. What is Queen's Swimming's brand now? What makes us believe that, that Queen's Swimming is a better choice than all of the other Division I mid-major programs? And I don't know what that is. Um, I can't figure out what that is. You know, they're going to lose access to some of their international recruits just based on the different Division One eligibility rules. Jeff Dugdale likes to tell us whenever we talk to him about how they're a D1 program. So it's his time, you know, they could be such and such at the D1 level. And now it's kind of time for him to prove it. So, so if he can prove it, good for him. Um, they built a lot of that success on the early David Marsh era and the association with David Marsh. Was, which got them Matthew Hosa and a few other big commits. Um, I don't know if people are going to remember that once they get into the D1 level. So if they can start putting swimmers at the NCAA D1 championships quickly, maybe they have a chance, but that four-year gap is going to break a lot of the momentum they have. And um, I just, I think it's going to be an uphill battle to recapture that. So I am sinking this move. I don't have any analysis to add to that, um, but I am going to swim this move. <laughs> Do you know that Elon Musk went to a university named Queens, but in Canada? <laughs> that is grade A analysis. That's why we uh, keep inviting you back on the podcast. I'm I'm sinking it as well. I just when I did practice in pancakes with Queens with Jeff Dugdale, he, he showed me all of he, he was telling me about all of the many as they have all they've been able to accomplish as a D2 program. It seems like they've been able to hang some their hat on the fact that they are a D2 program, and that's why they get to do so many things that you just can't do as a D1 program. And so I'll be really interested to see how that transition goes. Like you said, Braden, how he pivots and what the identity of Queens, the D1 school will become. But for right now, it's like, I I don't, I don't see it. So 
until I see it, I'm sinking it. All right. Swim, swam, pulse voters voted that lose 200 fly world record will be the longest standing of the women's world long course meters world records. It's a two Oh one eight. All right. Uh, which no one has gotten remotely close to. Um, there are other world records that have been long standing. Um, but, uh, sink or swim tuner fly will be the longest women's world record standing. Sink. Ben. I'm calling out the data here because while it was most voted, none of Katie Ledecky's records were on that list. And I just can't see. I mean, I don't know if if the question is, can Katie Ledecky break her own world record? And then like she becomes the next world record. But I don't know. I I just don't think anyone else is going to break one of Katie Ledecky's records for a very long time, at least in the 800 and the 1500. Um, And even though the 200 fly record here is, is absolutely absurd and no one's gotten close to it. I think it just takes one person to get close to it. And I see someone coming up and doing that sooner than someone coming up and doing what Katie Ledecky did. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't think that they've, I don't think that we've seen the person who will break the 200 butterfly record. I don't think it's any of the current swimmers, Um, but it's just going to take one person. And I think that person will come sooner than a Ledecky breaker. You're already wrong, Ben, because Katie Ledecky is going to break her 1500 free world record this summer. At the uh, okay, well, then the 800 free will last longer. Okay. Um, I, you know, I am swimming it. I, 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 I have the opposite answer of Ben, but I sort of agree with him. I think both of these records are going to last for a long time. But, you know, we see women's freestylers come along kind of generally, generationally. Janet Evans did it like there's there's been a long list not a long list a longer than one person list of these swimmers in the women's distance freestyles who come along and just start doing stupid times that we think will stand forever and then somebody else comes along and breaks them I don't think any anybody wants to do the 200 fly badly enough to break that record like I think this could be a record that doesn't break until something changes in the rules, something changes in the equipment, like a, some sort of structural change, because I just don't, I don't think the, the swimmers who have the athletic pedigree to do it, want to do it. So, um, it would have to be somebody from one of these countries like China or Russia or Hungary, where you don't necessarily get to swim the races that you want to swim. You swim the races that you are told to swim and you are told you're good at those races. And those will be the races you're going to do. Um, but I don't know, man, that record is stupid fast and nobody's nobody active is anywhere close to it. Do you think the person who breaks the 200 fly record is born yet? Do you think they're alive right now? Yes. And I'm swimming as well. How are you splitting that record? If you're, if you're breaking it with no suit? Uh, I mean, you got to go out in 50. I mean, you could be out. A, a woman could be out in 57 high and come back in 101 high. And that's, and that's not the record. Yeah, it is. That's two double O, right? 57. Oh, no idea. So you you think somebody's going to go? Yeah. They, yeah. No, you're you right. Basically have to be. You basically have to be holding 31 O's on the last three. Oh, that is 
That is gnarly. Out a suit, I don't know if you can <laughs> hold on to that in the last 50. Yeah, you'd have to average 31 O's, which is just disgusting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Zhang Yufei, 203.86 to win the Olympics with an Olympic record, and that is the fastest time we have seen since that world record of 201. And it's two seconds off. That's the fastest time we've seen in over a decade. It's just like, it's it, no one's even remotely close. Uh, yeah. So I have a Ben, I think you're right. It only takes one person to get close and then the floodgates open, but I don't think it's going to happen before every other current record on the books goes down. Bruno Fratis and Florent Manadou went head to head in the men's 50 freestyle at the Jack's 50 challenge in Jacksonville, Florida. Florent got the best of Bruno 22-0 to 22-3 in the final round of a skins format 50 free. Do you guys think that they will both medal again in the 50 free at world championships like they did at the Olympics? I'm going to sink it. <laughs> You're sinking then? I think Florent has a better chance but I still think Bruno has a good chance. I think that they both showed up really well last summer. And I think that, that it seems like they've both been training. Oh, well, actually I think Florent took some time off, but I think that Florent can take as much time off as he wants. And then just like train for a few months and go to Mare Nostrum and then make it onto the podium. Um, but I just don't see them both, both making, making it onto the podium um, again. Um, I think Ben Proud could have a big meet this summer. I don't know. I feel like he always does better not at the Olympics when he has other events to race. Like he'll probably do the 50 fly um, and he'll do the relays. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I don't see them both getting onto the podium again, but I think both of them have a shot separately. I'm, I'm going to sink the crap out of this because I think Michael Andrew, when he's dropping the 200 IM, we saw him go 21 four at trials. And I think at this point in their careers, uh, maybe Flo's got a 21-4 in him. I don't know if Bruno still has a 21-4 in him. The 53 is such a crapshoot. I don't see both of them having a 21-4 in them, and I see Michael Andrew being able to repeat that at world. so I'm going to sink it just for that reason alone. I just think the U.S. is going to get two of the medals. Uh, it takes remarkable consistency to be on the podium again and again in the 50 freestyle, Bruno and Florent are two of the most consistent sprinters in history. You both are fools. They'll be silver and bronze once again behind Caleb Remmel. Mark my words. Next. <clears throat> All right. The, the last two sink or swims today are over unders. So you can say sink or swim or over under. First up, 3.5 is the line. 2020 Olympians who didn't make the world's team this year will make the world's team next year. So you're going over under the line is 3.5 Olympians, Tokyo Olympians who didn't make the world's team this year will rebound and make it next year. I am going to go over. Um, and I'm going to tell you who I think Zach Apple will come back. I think he'll be in full training. I think he'll make the team. I think um, Lydia Jacoby will come back and she'll make the team in the 100 breaststroke. I think Jay Litherland will find a spot on the team, either in the 400 IM 
or I could see him shifting his training to like a 200, 400 free and going after those spots seriously. Indeed. Um, I think Paige Madden will get healthy and will at least get a relay spot next summer. Um, especially now that she's, it sounds like she's going to focus more on the, the shorter freestyles. And I, I don't think Smoliga or Weitzel are done yet. And I think there's enough room for both of them on the team next year. So I think there's going to be, if you had set it up four and a half, I'd still go over. All right, Ben. I'm just looking through the list. I agree with everyone else. And the only other person that I would add that also could get back on the team is Zach Harding. Uh, the 200 fly is not like anyone. There's not like a, a solid two. I think uh, Zach Harding could also get on the team. And then I agree with everything else that Brayden said that, that all of those people, it's not that they were so far off this year. It's just that they're all of their events were competitive and they were kind of right out of it. Um, so I'll go over as well. I think that at least four of them could get back. <sighs> This one's, I mean, I'm going to go under just to be contrary, but, but in all honesty, it's, I think it's hard because a lot of these athletes are older. And while I agree with your points that like a lot of these athletes, I don't think they're done by any means. And I think they'll still compete, but it's like the, the spots that they would have to take are all from younger athletes who are just going up and up and um, but they're not necessarily faster athletes, right? Like Abby Weitzel true. and Zach Apple are only 25, which is not an age where swimmers have usually done their best or necessarily done their best times. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, younger swimmers beat them at, at world's trials this year, but I don't know that they were faster than these swimmers sort of ceilings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, especially for like Weitzel and Smaliga, you know, the four by one free relay, there's always open spots, right? It's like, you cannot top six is a lot easier of a task. Um, I think the 53 is going to be really hard for Abby moving forward with Tori and Claire seemingly just having a stranglehold on all sprints. I mean, a 53, anything would have made the the 400 free relay this year. And Abby is a 52 high caliber swimmer. Yeah. So that's a lot of, a lot of room in there. I was just going to say another two are Bo Becker and Patrick Callen who made the relay last year. There are another two that could get back into the top six potentially. I don't know about that. I think Bo Becker is probably peaked. Yeah. I Patrick Callen will be. Yeah. Patrick Callen will be interesting to see, especially with how things at Michigan kind of shake out after what seemed like a very rocky year for the team as a whole. So he's very Michigan strong though. He's, he's very very pro Michigan, very pro Michigan. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. And our last sink or swim over under of the day with a full roster of fifties of stroke. Now that Annie lasers, uh, 50 first 50 breast of her hundred breast counts as the FINA a cut the 50 breast we've got, we've got everyone, all our spots filled in the fifties of stroke. So that means there's 12 medal opportunities in the fifties of stroke at world championships, 12 medal opportunities over under USA wins 4.5 medals of the, with those 12 opportunities. Coleman, this is not a, we issue. We are professional journalists and do not have a rooting interest. Um, the U S only got three medals in stroke fifties at the 2019 world championships. Uh, that's 
Lily King won the 50 breast. Olivia Smoliga won the 50 back. And Caleb Dressel won the 50 fly. That hurts so much. <laughs> we, talk, we talked about last week how we appear to be better on a, on a better track in these races than we were going into the Olympics. Um, but, you know, we've got to go plus two versus 2019 Worlds. And a lot of that comes down to Michael Andrew, right? Like if Michael Andrew is swimming well, we could get six. If he's not swimming well, we could be at three again. So it's it's kind of a, a tough question to answer at four and a half because it's it's not like, I don't know, there's a couple of swimmers that a lot of this rests on. Um, I think I'm going to go under because as much as we've improved it's just, it just feels like some of these swimmers when they get to worlds, just don't focus on these fifties because they have other races. Um, like Tori and Claire are, are a great example of that. Um, so I'm going to go under, I'm going to go under, I think Caleb gets one in the 50 fly. I think we get one in the women's 50 fly, maybe Lily in the 50 breast and Hunter Armstrong in the 50 back. No, and then Michael Andrew gets one. Okay, I'm going over. And I was going to add Catherine Burkoff is 50 back is her only event. Like 50 back is not that strong right now worldwide, I don't think, um, in terms of other countries having That's depth true. in the backstroke. That, that, with Madero's hurt, no Madero. Russia. Okay, yeah, yeah no yeah. Russia. It's definitely an over. Over. Yeah, I can see Hunter Armstrong and Justin Ress. I mean, they're both what number one and three in history in that event now. So I can see both of them getting on. Um, so I'm going to go over. Yeah. I I'm going over as well because of the state of every other country, right? It's like this world championships is going to be weird. We're going to be missing people. Um, and, uh, it, it, it trials America looked strong, you know, it's like worldwide, uh, our fifties look good. I think Caleb and Michael could, you know, could both medal in the 50 fly, um, Michael could certainly win a medal in the 50 breasts. We could get one or, you know, fit women's 50 fly looks strong. Lily in the 50 breasts looks good. Hunter and Justin are one and three all time in the 50 back. And then Burkoff and Reagan are top ranked, um, in the 50, in the women's 50 back. So it's like, I think we can squeak out five. <laughs> I think we I can could see plus two for 19. Claire and Tori could both get on the podium with no, Maggie McNeil is not racing the 50 fly. Emma McKeon's not racing the 50 fly. Um, so I, I don't see a way that they won't get on the podium. Actually, I mean, seven. Seven. <laughs> we win seven. seven. We, yeah, can, we can win seven. I mean, we can win 12. Yeah. In theory. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This was our jam packed sunshine breakdown for this week. Stay tuned every week for your week's news in swimming.